Thanks, Paul. Well, it's, uh, it's good to be here with you, and uh, I put it up this high so that I could read the words. It's not unreasonable, is it? <laughs> I haven't got my glasses on, because uh, they were steam up with the, with the mask. So we're going to be uh, looking this morning at um, Joshua chapter 3, so uh, uh, maybe you can just be finding that. And um, uh, Joshua uh, 3 is where the Israelites come to uh, the River Jordan. They're on the east side, they're going over to Jericho on the west side, and uh, uh, so it's a famous story uh, which the kids will all be familiar with, and uh, uh, it's all about coming to uh, a barrier, the river, and how they get across, and um, how they're going to get to the other side. Uh, and uh, it, there's a real sense in this of, of fresh beginnings, there's a sense in this of keeping our eyes on God, and there's a sense in this of uh, going into some new season and uh, inheriting the promises of God. So we're going to be looking at that. So if you'd like to turn with me to uh, uh, Joshua chapter 3, I've, I've printed it out here, but um, you'll find it in your Bible. And um, it starts like this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you'll know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, that's about 1,000 yards or just over half a mile, between you and the Ark. Don't go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. We're looking for that, aren't we? For the Lord to do some more amazing things amongst us. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off, and they'll stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan's at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap a distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on the dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. 
Now, there's some, uh, there's some metaphors, aren't there? When we think of crossing a river, uh, we, it, it speaks to us in different ways at the moment. I do some work in London, and sometimes you'll get in a cab, cab or a minicab, and they say, I want to go down to, uh, to Croydon. And I say, oh, sorry, Gov, don't go south of the river. You know, it's bandit country down there. It's different across the river. And uh, uh, so that, that's, that's sometimes how a river speaks of us. It's different across on the other side. There's a famous story in the classical texts. Uh, uh, Suetonius, a Roman historian, wrote the lives of the Caesars, and he describes how Julius Caesar, who'd been the governor of uh, northern Italy, uh, the area around Milan and up to the Alps, uh, decided that he was going to take his army south to Rome and cross the river called the Rubicon. And crossing the Rubicon uh, means that you've, uh, you've made a decision from which you can't go back. You've, you've taken a, a step that's not reversible. Uh, by taking his army across the Rubicon, uh, Caesar made himself an enemy of the state, as it were, and it started the civil war in Rome, which led to uh, him uh, becoming preeminent. And it's also, of course, a metaphor uh, for death. I was just talking to, uh, uh, to Paul earlier about a friend who had uh, died some years ago, and um, at his funeral, uh, a passage from... Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress was read, and uh, if you know uh, that old story, uh, Christian comes to the river uh, and he crosses over, and uh, uh, it's a, it's a, a, an allegory, a picture of, of of death, really crossing over into God's promises, and the trumpets sound on the other side. So there are three things that I want to to pick up this morning as we look at crossing the Jordan for the Israelites. And the first is this, that it marks for the Israelites, and I think for us too, something of a fresh beginning. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is that there is always available a fresh beginning, that we are not stuck with uh, the mistakes, the sins, the things that we've done wrong, the things we've left undone of the past. We can always find a fresh beginning in Jesus. Now, the Israelites had been uh, for 40 years in the desert. And almost all of those who'd passed through the Red Sea when they left Egypt originally had died in the desert. In Numbers 13, we read about how the spies go up and look at the Promised Land. And when they get back, only uh, two of them say, yes, we should go in. That's what God's saying to us. And the other 10 say, oh, no, the inhabitants of the land, they're big, they're, they're frightening. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't go in and take it. So they, they, they didn't listen to what God had for them. And those ten uh, died. All of the Israelites who'd crossed over the Red Sea uh, 40 years earlier uh, when they got to the Jordan, they died in the desert. And uh, uh, so it was uh, because they'd not responded in faith to God's invitation to press in to uh, what he'd got for them. So as they got ready to go into the Promised Land now under Joshua's leadership, most of those who would have remembered the Red Sea and that wonderful miracle that God had done there, they'd already died. There were just a few left, one or two, Joshua, Caleb, uh, who would perhaps have remembered that. So God repeats that wonderful miracle of the Red Sea for this fresh generation. He does it again. 
the river uh, is in flood. It's not just a, a one-off miracle at the Red Sea. Some people seek to explain, oh, well, you know, it was a very low tide or uh, the wind was blowing particularly strongly in a particular way. Uh, and the Israelites just happened to make it across because they, they, they got there at a providential time. The repetition of this miracle sort of underlines the fact that what God had done at the Red Sea was itself a miracle. And here he was about to do the same thing again. And there are some very specific details here which undermine any suggestion, oh, well, perhaps the river was very low and uh, they were able to cross over a convenient ford and it wasn't really a miracle at all. The specific details, the river's in flood. It's harvest time and the river's in flood. The water piles up at a place called Adam. That's not, obviously not a place you want to live at this particular moment because there's a, there's, there's a flood there. Uh, near Zarathan, we're told where it is, where this, this flood takes place, where the water is, is corralled. The water downstream was cut off. The ground was completely dry. So it's clear that God has done something extraordinary here. It's not just a, an accident of the seasons, but God has repeated this wonderful miracle. And the fact that he repeats this for them, uh, having done this previously at the Red Sea, is a reminder that he's still with them. The, the God of Israel is with them still. Not this time to escape from people who are pursuing them, but to enter into promises that he has given them. So uh, their the, the departure from Egypt uh, ha had been, uh, it seemed, a, a sort of desperate affair. They left in the night and uh, uh, they hastened towards uh, the Red Sea and they were chased by uh, the Egyptians. The whole Egyptian army was behind them uh, and, and they were uh, stuck between the army and the sea. It was a time of desperation. God does a wonderful miracle and opens the way for them and they escape. Uh, and the Egyptians are lost in the waves. This time, uh, there's a sense of going into something, a positive sense, not, not a sense of running away from something and escaping by the skin of their teeth, but uh, a sense of pressing into what God has for them, that they would know, uh, instead of uh, the, 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 uh, the shame of running from the Egyptians, they would know victory, that they would know God's blessing as they went into the lands. And for Joshua, uh, there's this wonderful promise that he would be exalted in the eyes of all Israel so that uh, they would know that God was with him personally. This, uh, this miracle also is, is fresh uh, grace. It's fresh evidence of God's favor on his people. It was a reminder that the sins of the last 40 years, the grumbling in the desert uh, and uh, all, their, all their rebellion in the desert, the things that they'd done wrong, uh, making a golden calf to worship it, grumbling about uh, how much better off they'd been back in Egypt, all that stuff, all that's forgiven because God's doing a fresh miracle for them. It's a fresh start. And just as going through the Red Sea had been a picture of baptism for them, you see that in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2, so coming through the waters of the Jordan is like a baptism, a fresh baptism for this new generation of Israel going into the promised land. It's a forerunner of the baptism which Jesus would initiate for us. They were able to put their past sins and mistakes and all that their parents had got wrong behind them. And here was a fresh start, a fresh beginning. It's wonderful evidence of God's grace for us, isn't it? That uh, we are always able to seek a fresh start, a fresh beginning uh, from him. And as Paul said earlier, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you feel that you're burdened by past mistakes and sins and stuff that you've got wrong that's, that's kind of weighing your life down, 
then Jesus will take all that off you. And if you put your life in Jesus' hands and put your trust in Him, then wonderfully all that stuff is forgiven and a fresh start, a fresh beginning, a new life, as the Bible puts it, is available for, for, for you. Now for us, this little lockdown season, which is, we hope, drawing to a close, has been a bit of a desert. We haven't been able to gather together uh, very much. We're just beginning to get back together again, which is such a joy. Uh, it's so, so great to be here in the room with you too, uh, to hear Eve and the others singing. It's just beautiful. And uh, it's remarking the end of this kind of desert season. And uh, it's almost a picture of, of what the Israelites went through in the desert. We've been through this season of where we've been deprived of uh, some of the blessings that we've become used to. And there's a fresh start for us uh, as we come out of this lockdown. And God, God has got some great things for us. Just as he promised to do some amazing things for the Israelites, I believe he's going to do some amazing things for us too if we're bold and press into them as we uh, come out of this, this season of lockdown. So let's be alert, let's be attentive to what God's saying to us in this season about what lies ahead. The second thing I wanted to draw out of this, uh, this picture of the Israelites crossing uh, the Jordan is that they had their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they didn't see it very much because it was normally kept in uh, the tabernacle, so even to see it was unusual. And uh, they, they, they knew that it was going ahead of them, but they were told, keep some distance away. And uh, Joshua was somebody who knew God's voice. We see in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11 that when Moses went to the tabernacle to, to, to speak to God, Joshua went with him. When Moses came back to uh, the people of Israel, Joshua stayed there. He, he was learning to hear and recognize the voice of God. He loved to spend time in the presence of God. It says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp but his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. He stayed there listening to what God was saying. He practiced being in the presence of God, recognized his voice. So when God gives him some instructions as they're about to cross over the Jordan, he knows to act. He knows he recognizes the voice of God and he, he's obedient to it. He knows that blessing's going to come. In chapter 3, which we're looking at today, we don't see the whole conversation related, just a promise and a brief instruction. So in verses 7 and 8, the Lord says, this is the promise, today I'll exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know I'm with you as I was with Moses. And then the instruction, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the, the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now it doesn't say uh, the water will pile up and you'll be able to cross over on dry ground. Maybe we haven't got the whole of the conversation here, or maybe Joshua just knew that this was going to be uh, a rehearsal, a, a reprisal of the miracle that God had done at the Red Sea, that the water would part for them and they'd be able to cross over. Joshua knows what's going to happen because he goes and tells the Israelites, this is what's going to happen. Verse 11, see the ark of the, Lord of, uh, of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Then he says, as soon as the priests who are carrying the ark set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will pile up in a heap. So he knows what's going to happen because he's heard from God. He's, he's practiced being in the presence of God. He's recognized the voice of God. Now the ark itself, of course, is not God. It's just a symbol of his presence. 
It's a reminder that God's with them, present with the people. But it's, it's, there's a sense of power about it because it's not to be touched by anybody other than the priests. When the Philistines later capture it uh, and, and put it in their, their temple, uh, it causes all sorts of trouble. The, the, the idol of their god falls over and gets broken and people become ill in the town. Uh, and then later on when it's being taken back into Jerusalem by David uh, and the oxen who are drawing the cart that uh, is carrying the ark stumble. A chap called Azar reaches out to steady the ark and he dies because he touches the ark. So there's a real sense of the powerful, tangible presence of God with the people of Israel as they're crossing over the Jordan. And as this ark is taken into uh, the water, the water stops and the ground becomes dry. Uh, and all of the Israelites would have seen this. They'd have seen the ark of God there in the river and they're told to keep half a mile away from it. So keep, keep a safe distance from this powerful symbol of the presence of God with you. They're looking at it though. You can believe that they're looking upstream to make sure the priests don't move out of the river while they're in the middle of crossing. They're looking at the ark of God. They've got their eyes on that symbol of the presence of God. And for us, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to be those like Joshua who practice being in the presence of God, being in his presence. It's just beautiful this morning as we're worshipping. I know we're not able to sing, but there was just some tender moments this morning, weren't there, where, I don't know about you, but I felt the presence of God. I just felt him speaking to us just tenderly, expressing his love over us as we uh, were hearing Eve and the others sing. It was just beautiful. And we just need to practice being in the presence of God so that when he speaks to us, as I believe he's going to be over these next weeks and months, we recognize his voice and we hear and we say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to press in to what you've said for me. That's all the more important when we're faced with obstacles. It might be ill health or uh, uh, maybe it's finance, maybe a situation at work or home. It might be a friend or family member. We're, we're longing to see them come uh, to faith in Jesus, but they're just not interested. In these circumstances, we've got to look to Jesus it says in Hebrews 12, too, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's focus our attention on him as we face obstacles. Like the, the Israelites crossing the river would have been looking at the ark. Saying, that's, that's the, didn't know Jesus at that time. That's the, that's the symbol of God's presence here. Let's keep our eyes on this as we're going over. We, we know Jesus. We're wonderfully privileged. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And through this difficult season, he's been right there alongside us, right with us. He's the Lord of all the earth, not just the bit where we happen to be or uh, this little bit of time where we are now. He's the Lord of all that's to come, all that's been. He's the Lord of everything, all of we see in creation, all that we don't see, all that dark matter the scientists talk about, all that's seen and unseen. He's the Lord of it all. And he's the one to be with when we're facing obstacles. Let's keep our eyes on him as we go through this challenging season. And then lastly, uh, is this a time for rest? Can I ever lie down yet? That's, uh, when I looked at the, um, uh, the title of, of today's talk, we get a little note saying what we're supposed to speak about, and it, was, it said you know, Joshua 3, verses 1 to 17, and uh, it said the royal road to blessing, and I thought, oh, I've entitled my talk, can I have a lie down, please? And uh, <laughs> I haven't got that quite right, but... 
What I want to say about this is, it's not quite yet time to have a lie down. God's promised that there will be a rest for those who enter into what he has promised for them. But that doesn't mean it's time for us to have a lie down just yet. In chapter 1, we saw Joshua was to lead the Israelites into the promised land. This was the land that God had sworn to their forefathers uh, to give them, and rest was promised. It says, the Lord your God is giving you rest. He's granted you this land. But that didn't mean that they could just get the sun loungers out and uh, think, oh, great, we'll, we'll sit down here, where's my pina colada, you know, put some nice music on and uh, we'll, we'll have a picnic. That wasn't what God was calling them to. They had to cross over and take the land and enter into what God had for them, the promised rest. And in Hebrews, if you know uh, that book later on in the Bible, we see that the previous generation, their parents, had blown it. They lacked faith. They hadn't gone with what God had, had wanted for them. They'd been disobedient. They hadn't entered into uh, the promised land. When the spies came back with this report, oh no, the, the inhabitants, they're, they're big people. Uh, we can't fight them. Um, the Israelites had been fearful. They hadn't listened to what God had said, uh, except for two of them, Caleb and Joshua. And God's judgment was, well, you haven't listened. You, you, you haven't responded in faith to what I've said. Uh, you're going to wander in the desert till this generation has died away. It's your children who will be shepherds and will go into the promised land. And this new generation had a bit more faith. I don't suppose they were perfect. There will have been fearful folks there. There will have been those who uh, felt poorly, who felt weak, uh, those who uh, needed some help along the way from their friends. But there were others who were full of faith and they had a choice to make. Do we press in? to what God has promised to us or do we turn our backs again and go for another 40 years wandering in the desert in Hebrews it says that promise of rest still stands for us today so the same choice is available to us as we uh, negotiate these difficult times there's a promise of rest but it needs to be combined with faith and action uh, as the Israelites found if they didn't have faith, no action resulted, judgment followed. If they did have faith and took action to cross the river, then blessing followed. Hebrews 4, 8 to 11 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, there's more rest to come, you see, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters into God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will but perish by following their example of disobedience. And in Hebrews 11, we see those who are commended for their faith, and that includes Rahab that Paul spoke to us about last week. She was a woman of faith. She saw something uh, that God had uh, spoken to her about, and she responded in faith by protecting the two uh, spies who'd come from uh, the Israelite camp. Hebrews 11 says this from verse 13. All these people, there's a, a list of people who lived by faith, they were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive all of the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say that kind of thing show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had an opportunity to return. 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. Now, we might feel, reading that, that the promises of God, the blessings of God, uh, the, the, the blessings of rest in God are always slightly out of reach. It's like one of those hats with a stick and a carrot just dangling, always just out of reach. We're just reaching out for it. We never quite get there. Uh, and we're not able to eat that carrot or whatever it is on dangling from the string. But God calls us to a bigger picture than just something that's tangible immediately in front of us. He's calling us to uh, our eternal destiny with Jesus in heaven. And that's a, that's a bigger thing than just getting a quick blessing here, just reaching the carrot that's ahead of us. The previous generation of Israelites had lost that sense of vision. Their understanding, of course, was that there was a promised land for them. It was a tangible place, a place in which God had promised Abraham, I'll give all this land to your, uh, your descendants. And uh, they were returning to go into that promise. And the previous generation had thought, mm, no, it's too difficult, not for us. This generation, now crossing the River Jordan, uh, that they, were, they had a bit more faith and they were going to cross over. The previous generation had, had, had eyes on the past. They'd been looking back to Egypt. They were saying, oh, how great life was in Egypt. You know, I'm not sure about this. It says endless cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Well, <laughs> lead me on to the promised land, folks. <laughs> but uh, uh, they, they uh, were looking back, thinking, oh, that was great back there in Egypt, wasn't it? They had an eye to some kind of rosy-tinted past, uh, which actually had been rather uncomfortable, a place where they were in slavery, where their, 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 their sons were being killed by Pharaoh. And so it wasn't such a great place, but they'd, they'd, they'd chosen to forget the disadvantages and uh, think, oh, that was better than what we're going to, fighting these people, too difficult for us. But this new generation, they're going to cross the river. Let's consider Jesus. He didn't just come here to do some miracles. Those attest to who he was. They, they say something about, yes, this was the Son of God. But he didn't come for the, the adulation of the crowds. He, he didn't come to get loads of benefits in this life. He didn't come to become a, a multimillionaire or a billionaire. Uh, that wasn't why he came. He, he came, uh, he, t he certainly healed people. He, he blessed many people while he was here. Uh, people responded to him. But that wasn't his purpose in coming. His purpose in coming was to live a life without sin and then to die on the cross. So looking at that, some people say, well, his life didn't end very well, did it? You know, he died in shame on the cross. But right at the end there, he's able to say, it's finished. I've done what God sent me to do. This was it. It wasn't about the healings particularly. It wasn't about uh, uh, feeding the 5,000 here or the 4,000 there. It was about this, dying on the cross. This is where I'm able to say, it's finished, I've done it. Now, he wasn't, therefore, living his life in a way that uh, enabled him to enter into a rest from his work on a day-to-day -day basis. He wasn't looking for a holiday while he was here. He was looking to do God's will and to accomplish what God had sent him to do. And that he accomplished on the cross where he died and was then raised to life again. 
to many onlookers, his life would look a bit meaningless. He didn't even get a holiday. There's a big cry now, isn't there? Oh, can we, go, can we go on holiday? Can we go somewhere sunny? Can we go abroad? It's our right to go on holiday. We, we, you know, it's great to have a holiday, of course. That's lovely. But uh, we, we, don't, we don't have a right as Christians to, to, to kind of time off. Say, well, we can behave badly this week. You know, it's my holiday. Uh, God's calling us to a life of obedience and service. And Jesus exemplifies that. It's only at the end that he's able to say, it's done now. And so as they, as they crossed the Jordan, the Israelites, they had, they had work to do. There were all these Canaanites and Hivites and uh, Hittites and Jebusites, all these people squatting there comfortably. But God, had said, God said he'd go before them and take this land. He'd drive out these tribes. But they had to act. They had to go in and cross the river. The previous generation could have said, oh, we'll wait for God to clear all these big people out of the way. But no, they had to go in and do the work themselves. They had to act in faith. There's some fighting, some hard work ahead of them. But as they went in, God promises to go before them. And he uh, demonstrates that straight away by stopping the water so they can cross over on dry land. But they had to start it. They had to step in the water to see that come. Until they got there, the water was still flowing. It was only when they put their foot in the river that it stopped and they were able to cross over. So I'm afraid no sun loungers here for us just yet. No, uh, uh, no cool drink by the side of the river. There's work for us to do. And uh, it's a time for us to press into what we're called to do here in West Earlham, on this west side of the city. Some of us will be called to other places, maybe the global planting as time goes on. Others will be called here to join us. But our job for the time being, our calling here is to serve uh, however that is to, to do the setting up or setting down, helping with the kids, leading us in worship, uh, helping with the PA, just serving here so that there's a witness to God's presence here in this part of the city. We're sharing the gospel in this community. Uh, just as the job of the Israelites was to advance the kingdom of God in their time, we're asked to do that here in our time. When we've done what God's calling us to do here, maybe he'll call us on to something else uh, Eventually, we'll get to that point where God says, you've done well. It's time to come into your rest now. In the meantime, our reward, our rest, is it's just over the horizon. But it's not entirely just over the horizon. It's here in this room with us, beautiful friends, wonderful friends that we're doing the journey with. And I'm so grateful to uh, be on this journey with you here and to uh, be facing the challenges that we face, the challenges of service, of sharing the gospel together with friends. And we can have some laughs and some fun along the way. So it's not all jam tomorrow. Uh, there's wonderful blessing today for us uh, as we share this journey together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful story where you demonstrate your repeated grace to your people where you indicate that it's never too late uh, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for a fresh start. Thank you for the encouragement to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And thank you, Lord, that although uh, there's a wonderful promise of rest when we get to uh, that heavenly destiny with you, there are wonderful friends along the way uh, to serve you with together.